Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Hey, we'd like to welcome all to Mornings with Joel's our CRE podcast. And this morning we have a very special guest, Dennis Pemberton, one of my homies from back in the day, you know, old, old stomping ground. <laughs> Come to find out, uh, you know, buddy as well. Didn't know he, he ran in those circles of, of where I grew up. So very happy to have you, Dennis. Actually, Thank you. Happy to be here. From, from Belize. So we're happy that happy to hear that and very excited to have you as well. What's what's been happening, man? Life's been treating you well. You're doing all right. Yes, life has been going very well. These are, as you know, these are interesting times. We are um, trying to adapt and adjust to uh, everything that uh, the world is throwing at us. But fortunately, things have been going uh, very well. And uh, as you mentioned, I'm actually currently in Belize. This is a uh, a, a family vacation that we were uh, fortunate and happy to be able to pulled off this week. So um, we just arrived last night, so I haven't had a chance to really uh, do much, but it's nice to have a change of scenery. And it's actually my first vacation here in uh, 18 months or so. So this is actually um, quite nice, but overall things are good. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, you know, I I know you've done a a lot in the um, commercial real estate game over the years. We're really excited to uh, see your progress and everything else. But the question is always, how did you get started? I mean, were you born with a silver spoon in your mouth? You know, did your daddy give you a ton of real estate to uh, play with and you know that type thing or how did this all get started for you and, and become a, a way of life for you absolutely so yeah so no uh no no silver spoon but i, I can say that my father was involved in real estate so we uh in a, a very very small scale actually in new york in harlem and uh he owned a business he had a um a warehouse in Harlem, and then just over the years started investing in small properties, you know, single, single, single family homes, and mm-hmm. uh, and then actually some brownstones early on before that was a, uh, a thing. So he a would thing, buy, right? uh, <laughs> exactly. So he would buy um, dilapidated brownstones in Harlem. Um, for thirty thousand dollars, and get mm. the squatters out, and then sell them for fifty thousand dollars, and uh, you know, think he was doing something. So, in <laughs> retrospect, he had a buy and hold strategy. It would have been a much better. Uh, yeah. I, I perhaps my children would have had a silver spoon, but we. Are, uh, <laughs> but we ended up, as he says, he was able to educate his children, and uh, I did give my sister and myself exposure to the uh, real estate business. So most of my. Uh, or many of my memories, I should say, with my father was driving around in the backseat of his car, going around collecting rents or looking at properties and things like that. He uh, actually, one of the funnier stories is he had a, he owned a building that he leased to a church. So he would always, every Sunday afternoon, we would, uh, we would drive out to the church to get them right after the collection plate was passed because that's when we knew, uh, that's when we knew they had money. So that was my first introduction to real estate. And then I went to uh, Morehouse, um, Morehouse College in Atlanta. Unfortunately, Morehouse at the time had a real estate concentration within the business department. So I uh, was a a professor by the name of Alan or an individual by the name of Alan Panato, who came to uh, Morehouse and created this uh, program with the support of some of the uh, larger institutional investment uh, companies. Uh, He was a New York life executive, was a senior guy in their real estate uh, group retired and then came to Morehouse. And, you know, we, I don't know, we had maybe 12 or 13 guys who were concentrating in real estate when I was there and had uh, you know, access to a lot of institutional investment firms that uh, were interested in trying to increase minorities, um, you know, similar to REIT. I've heard industry. that story before. So, 
Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's so, come full circle. <laughs> exactly, which yeah, it's still needed, very, very yeah, much yeah. needed. Absolutely. But equitable New York life, prudential firms like that were all uh, so love South Partners were all supportive. So I ended up um, getting my first institutional real estate job with uh, the Prudential, and I uh, worked in the mortgage capital group, you know, analyzing um, analyzing commercial mortgages. And then I um, again, that was I was this was. I worked during my senior year. I guess I had a summer internship before my senior year with them and then worked during my senior year with them. And I ended up uh, being one of the few people, this was in the late 80s. So I was one of the few people who knew how to use um, Lotus 123 at the time, which was sort of a predecessor to Excel. And uh, I created this um, very, very basic problem loan database. And I was the only one who knew how to use it. So they kept me on during my senior year. (laughs) So that gave me a great uh, opportunity to uh, you know, work then, get some experience. And then when I graduated, I ended up working, ended up working for Cigna, the insurance company, and their real estate investment group as a real estate asset manager. And because I had worked the, you know, the prior full year, I had a um, I had some practical experience. And so they actually brought me in as an associate versus an analyst. And that was a, a great opportunity to get great exposure. So I did I worked at um, Cigna for about three years. And then I went mm-hmm. on to, uh, uh, as a multifamily asset manager, managing a national portfolio. And then I went on to business school, came out of business school and went to work for a company called Security Capital Group, which is a uh, large, um, it's no, no, it was ultimately acquired by GE Capital and sort of um, disbanded, but it was a, a large REIT holding company. And we were the uh, largest shareholders of Archstone Properties, Prologis um, Properties, Car America, the office building REIT, Storage USA, and uh, there were about there were about twelve companies under our uh, under the Security Capital Group umbrella. So worked there for a number of years, and then we had started a company called Homestead uh, Homestead Studio Suites, which was an extended stay hotel company. Mm-hmm. I moved over to Homestead, and uh, that brought me to Atlanta. And then Homestead was ultimately sold, and I went to work. Uh, and then I ended up starting my own firm. So in two thousand and one, with um, just an idea of going out and let's try to let's try to syndicate one or two deals a year. I was going to, you know, I was working out of my basement. I was going to do, uh, was going to do smaller, uh, smaller deals and just try to, uh, you know, make a living. And we ended up getting some good traction and ended up um, establishing some relationships with some uh, wealthy families in uh, in Georgia who supported me in some of my early uh, early investments. And then, you know, fast forward to uh, you know, today, we have a um, I, uh, I actually recently merged my firm with a firm called the Dawson Company, which is a second-generation African-American um, real estate development firm that was founded in Atlanta. Harold Dawson Sr. was a, uh, a mentor of mine, and Harold and he passed away about seven years or seven or eight years ago. And his son Harold Jr. now runs the company with me as a um, he was a dear dear friend and, and, and incredible real estate professional. So we've merged his development platform and my acquisition platform and are trying to do positive things. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic. I was actually going to ask Kwame, didn't you uh, go to Morehouse also? If I'm not mistaken. I thought you went no. to those schools. I, I, I went to Brown. I was at Brown University. Oh, okay. but I'm from I'm from Georgia. You, <laughs> yeah, that's where go. I got the lies mixed up. Yeah, you got, you got you got it all mixed up. Yeah, I, I left and went to went. I went to the Northeast and then came and then I stayed. You know. Yes, and I I pretty much did the opposite. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I was born in the Northeast and then I went down to Atlanta and stayed there for a while. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, exciting. Very, very exciting. So that kind of gave you your your foray. And I guess one of the things mm-hmm. that you um you talked about was 
being able to transition over to using those relationships, basically to create your own firm and, and do things like that. It was kind of interesting what you were mentioning about uh, Lotus One Two Three. At the time, I was at um, U.S. Trust at 45 Wall Street, and I had designed this program called Data Ease. And it was a database management system for ah. mortgage-backed securities. Oh, I was the only guy that knew how to run it. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. It was a very, very similar thing, you know. And uh, wow, small world as it comes down to that. So that's funny. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. So so fast forward, um, you know, as things progress for you, uh, I know you've done some some deals in the past. And uh, I know when we had spoke last, you were you were trying to close some things out. And I noticed one thing, it seems like all the deals that you generally focus on are yeah, ideally north of about 300 units. Is, is there a reason for that? I mean, I know the reason, but what would you say to our <laughs> listeners as to what right. you're for that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, the bottom line is we, it is, um, yes, it's hard to do a, mm-hmm. a 40 unit deal as it is to do a 300 unit deal. And if you're able to, um, it's just the efficiencies of doing larger transactions. And also, you know, we have evolved to dealing uh, primarily with institutional investors and they are, um, you know, they're, they're seeking to get larger, uh, larger chunks of capital, uh, capital out the door. So we're, um, yeah, so that we, we tend to focus on, um, yeah, deals get through, but we'll go down to two, you know, 240 250 but generally speaking try to be north of uh, 300 and try to try to be north of you know 35 or 40 million dollars of uh, of asset value mm-hmm. gotcha gotcha what what would you say is a, a probably too big of a size or do you have any any cap on that as to where you think it might be a little bit a little that's bit a good, that's a good question there's no hard and fast rules but mm-hmm. you know I do get concerned about very very large single assets you know if you have a you know, multi family asset with 800 800 units or so that mm-hmm. that tends to be a little um scary just from a management standpoint and a um you know and concentration standpoint but our, our ideal transaction is a uh, portfolio transaction where we can buy multiple properties in multiple you know plus or minus 300 unit properties in one uh, in one transaction you know that's what we like but so we're you know, we, we evaluate every deal on its own merits, but mm-hmm. uh, so no hard and fast rules. But I do, it, you know, it gets very, very tricky. It has to be a very unique deal if it's, uh, you know, I guess over, over, you know, five or 600 units. That's when we start saying, okay, let's really understand our, our risk and our exposure and how we're going to manage this asset. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Very good point. So as regards the um, timing in the marketplace right now, uh, what are you really seeing? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of compression of cap rates and everything else, but um, yeah. where, where do you see the opportunities? Are you more opportunistic, <laughs> value-add, core? Right. I mean, where, where would you see no. spaces? So we've always been value-add um, oriented. That's been uh, that's been our focus since the uh, since we started the firm, and uh, or general from an acquisition standpoint, we're value added. But then, as I mentioned, we've recently um, merged with the Dawson company and we are doing a lot of development. We had built up a nice acquisition portfolio or, you know, stabilized assets and then actually sold out most of our portfolio in 2015, 2016, which in retrospect was much too soon, mm-hmm. left a lot of dollars on the table and I uh, really wish we had, uh, we had held on. And uh, actually one of our assets that we had sold and 
2015, 2016 timeframe. I saw it just traded. Person we sold it to just sold it at you know significant you know premium over what we sold it for. So that hurt my feelings a bit. But we are uh, we're you know still trying to find uh, value added acquisitions. Uh, we are very focused on and have always been focused on the workforce housing sector. So unfortunately, the strategy that you know at a point in time, it was an uphill battle trying to convince people to focus on secondary and tertiary markets in the high growth Southeast, workforce housing oriented and uh, value added. That's that's been our strategy for literally the last uh, 20 years. And uh, unfortunately, now everyone has uh, dis- discovered it. And I only wish I had been able to put out more dollars to that strategy. But we're still looking for opportunities. But there's a lot of capital chasing deals. As you said, there's significant cap rate compression. So the way we are um, so still looking at deals, but haven't uh, actually have not closed an acquisition here in um in the last and over 12 months, just because it's or actually over 18 months, just because it's um, it, it's been difficult to try to uh, get deals done in this environment. And it's even more more frothy right now. But we are developing. And the good news is we're developing property that we're able to sort of sell into this market. So mm-hmm. we're developing assets, stabilizing them, and then you know, hoping to uh, be able to sell some assets here in the uh, in the coming weeks. We had a, a transaction, uh, a sale close um, at the end of the year and have a couple of other things that will likely close this year. So that's okay. the way we're, and that was the benefit of actually uh, the combination of uh, my firm with the Dawson companies that we have you know, the acquisition capability and the development capability, and that provides us with the um, opportunity to uh, you know, be able to you know transact in whatever you know whatever the market brings us. Yeah, yeah, very good point. So I get it, <clears throat> and I, I was wondering about that because if if you merge with a developer and you're not doing development deals, you're just doing. Uh, acquisitions, you know, I, I would wonder about that because obviously a developer generally wants to always build. No, absolutely. That, that's absolutely. where his heart is. Yeah. And he's exactly. going to focus on that. And Dawson's been building forever. So no, forever. Exactly. Very, very, um, yeah, very, very strong capabilities there. So it's yeah. been great. And uh, but on the development side, one of the issues we're dealing with is just the cost of, you know, the cost of raw materials or material, mm-hmm. you know, lumber, lumber's high, um, you know, we have a project that's under construction now. We're having trouble getting appliances because mm. I guess the, the chip manufacturer that makes the chips for appliances is uh, is back. I guess it's in Taiwan, sort of one major one in the world, and they are backed up. So we're having trouble getting appliances and you know, the, the cost of everything is going up. And then labor is still an issue. So it, pretty much everything's hard. We're making it work. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, good point. Good point. It's always going to be tough. Let me ask this. How do you manage your your time? And the reason why I, I mentioned mm-hmm. that is because um, I was on a, a business call the other day. And uh, one of the things that came up in that discussion was about time management for executives. Mm-hmm. You know, you got all these deals to close. You got all these different transactions you're trying to manage, you're trying to understand. You got clients you're trying to deal with, money investors you're trying to deal with. How, how do you find uh, the best way to, to manage your time as you juggle all these different things? That's a a great question, and I'm still trying to refine it. I'm not I'm not perfect at it. That's probably one of the one of the areas where uh, a personal improvement area where I absolutely could uh, could do better. But by necessity, I, I make it work. But I probably you know work. I work a lot and, uh, you know, perhaps not as efficiently as I could, but the you know, bottom line is you should really rely on, uh, on lists and uh, to do lists and, uh, task lists and make sure lists and make sure you, uh, kind of prioritize and just and work through them on a, on a daily basis. And, you know, so to try to start my day with making a, uh, a list of what, uh, you know, what I absolutely need to accomplish and then what I would like to accomplish. And I end up working a lot, uh, in the evenings because the benefit of working in the evenings is you don't have, uh, 
you know, phone calls or mm-hmm. situations popping up that require, uh, you know, your immediate attention. That's one of the biggest challenges is, um, instead of laying out, okay, this is my day, this is what I want to accomplish. And then you have, you know, three or four fire drills over the course of the day that pull you away to focus on either mm-hmm. is this existing issues that, uh, just require your attention to, uh, you know, make some decisions because perhaps there's a problem or new opportunities that come across your desk that, you know, perhaps, um, you know, may need a, uh, a quick look and then being able to prioritize and reshift and, you know, get things done. But then also we, we, you know, we're fortunate that we have a great team and then being able to divert some things to other team members. If, uh, if I need to stay focused, but we don't want to miss the opportunity to need to, uh, or need to solve a problem. And, you know, you know, generally speaking, someone else can jump in and, and, and resolve the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. So it is tough. It's a work in progress. You know, even for myself, it's, it's always, Something and um, you know, with this COVID situation, I know for myself, I found myself working almost seven days a week. You exactly. know, because you're you're at your house most of the time, and so it's yeah. like, yeah, let me go deal with this. Let me deal with that. I got to get back to this person, you know. So it could be it could be very challenging. But um, exactly, yeah. So between, like you said, working seven days a week, obviously, what technology has done has made everyone accessible all the time, yeah. and then also not having a commute. And also I wasn't traveling. So, you know, normally I could use travel time, you know, time on airplanes just to try to regroup and collect my thoughts or, yep. Uh, yep. you know, or, or commuting time in the car as a chance to uh, either, you know, catch up on some personal calls or just uh, try to get my head clear. But uh, you now it was just always on, you know, like you said, seven days a week, you know, seven, yeah. you know many, many hours a day. Like I said, I, I didn't manage to sneak away this week. I'm going to try to uh, only work uh, only work 25% of the time. Unfortunately, I won't be able to completely check out, but I am going to enjoy my family and try to uh, use this to recharge my batteries. Yeah, yeah. Well, do what you got to do, man, because it's, it's certainly important. You got to do it. So <clears throat> absolutely. You know, one thing I, I wanted to ask you about, um, I know you had a, a foray in the hospitality space, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I never really understood why, you got into hospitality, you know, obviously I know you as a, as a multifamily guy, even though you were involved in that, um, that deal in, uh, Sea Island, I believe it was down there. Right. Jekyll, Jekyll Island. Right. Jekyll exactly. Island. Yeah. That's yeah. where I'm from. I'm from Brunswick. Oh, really? Same time. Oh. So you were with Barry Sternlick and Starwood. You were involved with that deal? No, we were. Uh, we partnered with Trammell Crow, and we were developed. We had actually 17 acres of, of Jekyll Island under control, and we're going to do a big uh, mixed use uh, mixed use development. This was right before so the world fell apart in 08 and 09. So, um, oh wow! But we, uh, yeah, but it was very, uh, yeah. I spent a lot of time down there. I was very active and was very excited about. Uh, the, the potential of uh, of that area in Jekyll Island, and um, still am, but haven't but haven't been down there lately. But I guess theoretically, I still have an economic interest in some stuff down there. As I mentioned, when I was with Security Capital Group, I was mm-hmm. with the uh, with Homestead, uh, you know, one of our subsidiary companies, and it was um, I guess VP of Strategic Planning for Homestead. So that gave me my introduction to the hospitality space, and. I was always intrigued by it, but we we actually bought a piece of land in Atlanta near the near the airport on uh, uh, Camp Creek Parkway, um, across from um, uh, Camp Creek Marketplace. Mm-hmm. And we initially were pl- planned on doing uh, multifamily there. We were going to develop multifamily, and then decided that that site was probably better suited for uh, for hotels. So we ended up co-developing with another firm, uh, two hotels there, Courtyard and the uh, Hampton Inn, and ended up doing well with those projects. So we. Um, 
that sort of got me back into the uh, the hotel space. And then we, we bought a deal in uh, Augusta, Georgia. And then we uh, had the large um, uh, large uh, hotel and it was going to be condos as well project we were planning on, uh, on Jekyll Island. So we were very active in that space, was going to have that be kind of an additional pillar of the firm. But really, got when knocked out of my sales after uh, after early '09, and had a, a bunch of um, you know capital deployed in that in that space that uh, didn't necessarily fare well fare well for us, and a couple of big development projects that uh, ended up not uh, coming to fruition, you know, through that time period. So that's when uh, so I went back to, and fortunately, during um, you know that downturn, our multifamily assets ended up performing very well. So I said, well, let me let me stick to my core here, yeah, bread and, and butter. Uh, <laughs> let me stick to my bread and butter. <laughs> the main thing, the main thing. But I still am actually very, very much like the, the hotel sector. And, you know, you know, never say never. So you know, I'll, I still, fortunately, still get you know calls about opportunities and deals that come across my desk. So you know, if um, yeah, who knows? Yeah. But what do you think about hospitality going forward? You know, everything that's the main things that are hot right now, as you know, is mm-hmm. obviously multifamily and industrial. But um, obviously, hospitality has been kicked in the teeth. Does that I mean that it's a buying season or what, what it is absolutely a buying season. There's going to be some tremendous opportunities. If you, you know, the world I think will evolve and change a bit here. And, um, you know, some, you know, some business travel locations will, um, probably have to sort of readjust their business models. Uh, just cause I, I think there's some, uh, you know, some hotels that aren't going to uh, do well going forward and others that are going to, uh, you know, do even better just with mm-hmm. the way that I think the world of work will change and the way, um, you know, travel will change, but there's significant pent up demand for travel, both leisure and business wise. So I think there's going to be a, uh, sort of a quick recovery and, uh, it's going to be pretty clear which, um, you know, which properties are going to, or, you know, will thrive long-term and which ones need to, you know, perhaps uh, revisit their business models. But I'm, I, I think they're going to be tremendous opportunities. If I were much, much closer to the sector, I would be absolutely be a buyer right now, but it's, it's not going to, I, you know, it's tough. They're going to be, they're going to be winners and losers. So you need to be knowledgeable and figure out which, uh, you know, which Mm -hmm. ones, uh, which properties to go for. But it's a, uh, yeah, I would love to buy hospitality, um, you know, right now we're in partnership with someone who was really close to the markets and had a, a good sense of what was, um, mm-hmm. you know, where the opportunities were. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quite interesting because, um, you know, it, it can go up and down, but you're right. You know, there's such opportunity right now, a lot of pent up demand. Mm-hmm. One of our partners on a transaction, they're actually uh, acquiring hospitality in order to convert to multifamily. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're doing yes. that right now. So, yeah, we've actually we've looked at a couple of projects like that for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. Haven't haven't executed on one, but that is something that is a a logical use for mm-hmm. uh, you know some like I said some of the hotels that are you know probably not positioned to really uh, to really perform well in the future and in markets that have um, you know a shortage of uh, of multifamily and there's yeah there's some interesting things you could do there depending on how the hotel is uh, you know set up and um, you know the, the, the floor plans because it's uh, you, you could either do you know, sort of moderate or affordable housing, or you could figure out how to do something more luxury or just, you know, the sort of the pied-a-terre, uh, you know, concept of just having people having a, a kind of a luxury studio in a in an urban market. So there are great opportunities there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, some of the successes that come out of this, um, you know, with people doing some creative things. And there are also, um, you know, people trying to do that with, um, 
you know, with some office buildings as well that are um, you know, probably not you know, best suited for office buildings. We're trying to convert them to multifamily. And it doesn't work with all buildings, again, just because of the mm-hmm. size of the floor plates and make sure all windows, all units have windows and, and mm-hmm. easy access and all that. But again, if you find the right building, there are going to be some opportunities in that space as well. You know, then also, I'm sort of perhaps getting ahead of you, but I think there are going to be mm-hmm. some tremendous opportunities for, uh, you know, adaptive reuse of retail and mm-hmm. uh, figuring out how to take, um, you know, some retail centers that are, uh, you know, are, are you know, likely not going to make it and converting them to uh, to other uses and uh, either just you know, tearing them down and completely redeveloping them or trying to take their, uh, trying to take that space and great parking and generally great access to transportation and, you um, you know, highway systems, et cetera, and convert that to uh, to other uses. So I've seen, you know, everything from, you know, taking malls, converting them into big, you know, sort of um, municipal centers with, you know, YMCA and City Hall and things like that and other uh, places where they've uh, been converted to movie studios, other places where they've been, uh, you know, converted to uh, Amazon uh, distribution de- mm-hmm. uh, depots and then other places where, um, you know, they've um, done... Uh, uh, yeah, get some other creative, you know, so I guess self-storage, you know, so some old, mm-hmm. um, you know, that old Target Center converted to a, a self-storage place with uh, a big, uh, you know, big parking for, uh, for for companies to be able to, you know, leave uh, trucks and, and storage containers and uh, people parking boats and RVs and all that there, cause again, because you have the vast parking. So it's, uh, again, that's another opportunity where I think, uh, you know, very, very smart people who, uh, you know, have really good insights will uh, figure out how to make uh, make money in that space during, you know, coming out of this, uh, coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. You did get ahead of me because that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> Read my mind. Sorry. Read my mind. Sorry so, about that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's fantastic. But you're right. I mean, those those are uh, the opportunities, and it's it's amazing because it's it's where you know everybody is running from is where the opportunities mm-hmm. are. Uh, always know. the case. Yeah, always, always the, the case. case. So, yeah. yeah. So it. Uh, yeah. So when we were, um, and like I said, when we were starting. <laughs> You know, and kind of the value-added multifamily space, and and again, our our target has been secondary and tertiary markets. So we're, and you know, in, in the southeast. So we, you know, we've we've done you know projects in you know, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana, Savannah, to Nashville before Nashville was hot. I mean, mm-hmm. Nashville is kind of a, a, a as it relates to the southeast, kind of a core market now. Right. But um, you know, some of the s- suburbs of um, Raleigh and Charlotte and uh, Tallahassee and uh, Huntsville and mm-hmm. uh, Alabama and Pensacola, Florida. You know, these are markets where you know we were you know we were begging people to say you know trust us, this is a you know, yeah. a good place to invest, and we couldn't get anyone's attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, now all of these markets are you know on everyone's radar screen and are, and are very very hot. But it's uh, but you know to you. You know, to kind of to the point here, it's uh, yeah. you know maybe when when the market's hot, you want to focus on what uh, what's cold, and right. uh, so that's always something you think about. So you know we're being you know very very careful in our underwriting, very thoughtful in our underwriting, but still see opportunities in the markets that we're pursuing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a uh, it's a delicate balance, that's for sure. You know, because you don't know which one of those markets is really going to pop. Right. So it's, exactly. uh, it's also a challenge. Um, you know, you mentioned Huntsville, which is uh, very interesting. It it seems like it's position to be one of the hottest markets in Alabama. Absolutely. Yeah, even more so than Birmingham. So yeah, Huntsville is poised to be uh, the largest uh, city in in Alabama in in Mm -hmm. the next 10 years. And it is a um, has the benefit of the Redstone Arsenal, which is a large uh, army installation where they do a lot of high tech army work, you know, controlling drones and and, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. that does top secret 
things and that the registered arsenal has you know around forty thousand employees and then you also have all of the um defense uh, companies that you know are tied into that so lockheed martin and uh, boeing and all these other uh, again t- top secret companies that have um locations uh and a, and a presence there and uh so actually huntsville has the highest the second highest the number of uh, PhDs um, mm-hmm. in in the uh, country, sec- just behind the uh, Research Triangle Park in mm-hmm. uh, North Carolina. So it's a very very well educated um, uh, employee base. You have very you have also the uh, this you know the U.S. Space Center mm-hmm. where uh, you know so it's basically the uh, the, the home of uh, U.S. rocketry. So again, a lot of smart people, a lot of high incomes, very very high quality of life, and uh, mm-hmm. significant job growth. So that again, that was a market where um, I couldn't. We were, we did a deal there uh, several years ago, and I could not find a U.S. investor who would invest there with me. And we ended up bringing in an international investor who uh, just had you know they had done their own research and they found they. Huntsville popped up on their radar as mm-hmm. a market that had significant you know, long-term um, upside possibilities. So we, uh, so it's a shame we had to go, you know, find an yeah, international investor to do a deal, you know, sort of right here. So that is a market we're very, very bullish on, very, very strong, um, mm-hmm. you know, opportunities. That's very, very strong demand, significant uh, population and household growth, and uh, very, very high-quality jobs and you know, what we view as a stable economy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we see the same thing. So you make a valid point here. <clears throat> Let me just jump in right quick. And uh, Kwame, let's let's see if there was anything you wanted to add. Uh, we generally don't have all the, the folks with us today that mm-hmm. we're here, but um, anything on your mind? That, that yeah, you I mean, this, this is great. I'm glad I have your full attention. Um, <laughs> so I was interested in, in hearing about you were talking about uh, fundraising and finding investors. And you mm-hmm. talked about institutional investors, you talked about high net worth individuals and family offices. I know for most people of color who are developers, getting to that next level of being able to attract those people mm-hmm. and being able to retain that is, is still a challenge. Can you talk about mm-hmm. kind of your journey in terms of, you know, when was a turning point for you or how you went about establishing, you know, those right. institutional investors, those relationships with institutional investors? Absolutely. It is a um, it has been a, a 25 year plus uh, journey and it is it, it is not it is not over. It is not easy. But fortunately, now with you know 25 plus years uh, under our belt, we do have some longstanding relationships at where uh, whereas, you know, people are. Um, you know, when we have an opportunity, we're able to go out and and, and go to a, a a roster of investors who we've transacted with before, and then also because we perform for people, um, you know, if it's not an opportunity for a particular investor we go to, they are willing and able to open up doors for us and say, hey, you know, we're this isn't a fit for us, but you should call my buddy over here at XYZ firm. So, but that's taken a long time uh, to get there, and I, we actually we. Do not have a fund. We operate on on a uh, on a deal by deal basis, and have done that strategically. It just provides um, significant amount of flexibility for us. And to, to be honest, you know, we ultimately end up with better economics. But it is also very very hard because every transaction it's uh, you know, it's like uh, you have to start from scratch. And uh, like I said, we're you know fortunate and we fortunate in that we do have investors we have relationships with. But it's, it's never done until it's done. So we started, as I mentioned, I was fortunate that I. Um, Established some relationships in Atlanta early on with uh, a few families that were very supportive as well as very well connected. And one of the things I did when we uh, when I was starting the firm in Atlanta is I sat on a number of, sort of nonprofit boards that were very um, 
you know that were you know sort of favored by the uh, the, the the family offices and the high net worth folks there, and then also. Um, developed some strategic relationships with some people who were very, uh, you know, who were very tied in and who's um, kind of the good old boy network in the South. If you have, Oh yeah, Dennis, he's a good guy. You know, that, that Mm -hmm. simple thing thing said by the right person will, uh, you know, get you in the door and and open up some opportunities for you. So I was somewhat double-edged sword, by the way, you know that, right? (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh yeah, it's it, it's uh, it, it's yeah, it's tricky, and you got to maneuver, and you got to be careful, yeah. and you know, you've got to uh, yeah, it, it all all sorts of um, you know, pitfalls and, and challenges to that. But it uh, you know ended up getting us in the um, you know, in the in the right flows, and then we uh, based on my experience with. Um, I worked for as I said, Security Capital Group, and that was a large company. And then when that company ended up being sold, people disbanded and went to a bunch of different firms. So I have um, managed to maintain a lot of those relationships. And that, uh, so it's very rare at this stage for me to be introduced to an institutional firm and not at least know someone who is uh, maybe someone I'm sort of one person removed from who, um, you know, is at that firm just based on, you know, how long I've been in the industry and working at some of the larger firms. And then the final piece of it is I just, you know, one of my Strong skills that I really focus on is uh, relationship management and, and uh, maintenance, and also staying in front of people when you don't have a deal, so that when you call them, when you do have a deal, it's not that's not the only reason you're you're calling them. It's you know it's it's more of a uh, true rela- relationship and you know a true connection and not just mercenary. And that has uh, that has served me well. And that is, you'll, you know, mentioned uh, you know or Earl the question earlier, how do you manage your time? One of the things I often will either write down or make sure I do, you know, every day or every week is just, you know, reach out to someone I haven't spoken to in a while, you know, who very I may very well need to call when I, uh, you know, have an opportunity for them to, to look at, you know, in a couple of weeks, but just, you know, Hey, just, you know, check it in. How's it going? What's going on? What are you guys focused on? This is what we're focused on. And then, you know, so that, so that gives me a sense of what's important to people. And then also you, you hear what's going on just in, in, in the, in the market. If you, you know, hear someone say, Hey, we are, uh, you know, we just, just you sold this multifamily portfolio and you know for an ex you know whatever cap rate it just gives me a sense of what's going on in the market or you know we're, we're completely getting out of the office building sector that's data and that's just good information for me to have or but we're really really hot on Huntsville what are you guys doing there and it's like, ah funny you should say that we've got something there so it's really trying to manage the uh, relationship side of the business that has been helpful you know for me personally in the on the capital raising side and uh, you know there's always more I could uh, do there but uh, you you know, people like to do business with, uh, you know, people they know, people they like. And, uh, you know, I try to um, try to do that. But it, it, it is a challenge. As an African-American firm, you don't necessarily get the, uh, or you sort of period, you don't get the, uh, the benefit of the doubt all the time. It's, uh, and, um, you know, oftentimes people will have more of an orientation towards, you um, why I don't want to do this deal versus why I do want to do this deal. And you're fighting that battle. Yeah. But in reality, right now, capable, um, African-American firms with um, some track records are uh, with track records are actually in, in high demand. So we are you know, sort of long, long, long time coming. But for the first time, our phone is ringing with people calling, saying, hey, what are you doing? Can we uh, can we do something with you? And that's uh, I don't, don't even know how to. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know how to process that. Uh, I just stare at the phone for a while before I respond because that just has never happened. So, you know, we're fortunate in that, you know, we, we have been able to do, uh, 
you know, some good things over the years and now are, um, you know, you know, hopefully positioned to, um, take advantage of, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, firms are realizing that they have com- done a terrible job of, uh, you know, diversifying their, um, developer and sponsor partners. So, but it, it's hard management, you know, really focus on establishing and managing relationships and, uh, you know, not just calling people when you have a, uh, when you have a deal, but just, just keeping in touch and, uh, keeping people apprised of what you have going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, cause also if you just call and say, Hey, you know, I just, uh, we just closed this in a great deal, blah, blah, blah. And, and someone will say, Oh, well, Hey, that's something we would have done. So I'll make a note mm-hmm. that, okay, next time, make sure you bring that to that person. You know, and then also don't, um, you know, I, I, we have a diverse staff, so if it's strategic to have another one of our staff members to be the primary point of contact with the relationship, because we think that will get us, uh, you know, ahead a little bit more. We're, you know, we're completely open open to that as well. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I don't know uh, who's listening to this. I'm going to just I just leave that there. But yeah, just you're be, working uh, all be, the angles. Man, truth absolutely. is the truth, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I tell people if um, you know if someone wants to. Uh, do business with us because you know one of our colleagues went to uh, college with them great if they're in the same fraternity great it's because i'm you know i'm bald great because i went to morehouse <laughs> great if i went to harvard great whatever it is like you said we'll work all the angles and, and do what we have to do and then we also have a um you know another thing that you know people could consider is you know a either official or unofficial advisory board. So that just gives you sort of more tentacles to have out there in the, uh, in the market. And that's, um, you know, that's harder to do than, um, than it sounds just because you have to find someone who's going to really put in, you know, be committed to you, put in the time, but not want to you know, take, uh, you know, take all the, uh, all the ups. So it's, um, that's a delicate balance, but we have, uh, we've sort of done that unofficially where we have, uh, you know, a number of, um, you know, folks who are, you know, who are either investors who have just taken interest in us and who are always calling and saying, Hey, I want you to meet this person. Mm-hmm. We have um, several attorneys who do that for us as well, who um, have, uh, you know, done a very, very, uh, you know, wonderful job of connecting us with, uh, you know, potential capital sources and sourcing deals for us and, um, you know, providing, uh, you know, a needed you know, letter of support or, you know, call to someone. We had a deal recently where we were trying to buy a, um, uh, a large portfolio, and uh, we asked our law firm if uh, anyone in their firm had a uh, relationship with uh, the seller, and they did. So they, you know, they they placed a call you know, to the seller on our behalf and said, "Hey, you know, these guys are legit." So that overcame, you know, some of the um, you know, reservations that the seller would have had about doing business with an African American firm that they they were not aware of, and he was not as you know, and not a big big firm. So that's another way of uh, you know working. Um, kind of work on what you have and trying to just, you know, be scrappy and figure it out. No, thank you so much. Thanks for the insight. I, I love it. Cause you rarely hear that, you know, that journey and how it works. Right. I, I greatly appreciate it. No, yeah, no, my pleasure. Thank you for, yeah. thank you for the question. That was a good one. Thank you, Kwame. Yeah. That, that's really what this is all about. Um, Cause Dennis, you know, we, I kind of mentioned it to you briefly, you know, in the email that, you know, what we're trying to do is is make sure that the next generation mm-hmm. of minorities does not stay at three to five percent of the overall industry, you know, exactly. which really makes no sense. Right. I mean, there, there's potential for growth. And a lot of times from what I found, it's just they just don't know. And you kind of alluded to that a minute ago. You know, mm-hmm. you had a seller in a situation who was probably like, well, I never heard of this black firm before. If, right. I, I probably should have known of them if they were for real. So they're probably not for real. And, and they may you know, they're dragging their feet. So somebody legitimize that. But the point is, is that the more exposure we give to the industry and show that it's not just 
you know, H.J. Russell or or Dawson, right. you know, that are out here doing things. You know, there's a lot of other minorities around the country that are actually getting things done uh, Absolutely. And, and are worthy of your capital. Um, to me, is the message that we're we're really trying to convey. Um, yeah, and, and not only worthy, not even worth. It's even more than worthy. We are um, oftentimes better suited because we are able yeah. to see opportunities and look at things from a different perspective mm-hmm. that other firms, um, you know, other firms are not able to do. So it's yeah. a um, yes. I, I'd argue that you know we're not only worthy, but it's uh, very well might uh, you know perform better and provide yeah. you access to opportunities you otherwise would not see. Well, that that goes twofold. You know, you have the situation with the urban core. And a lot of times mm-hmm. minorities understand the urban core a whole lot better, you know, yeah. from, from that perspective. And, you know, to your point, there was a, a research data, you know, I've, I've attended quite a few of the um, New York State pension uh, meetings. And uh, one of the things that came out there was that actually the minorities were outperforming the right. traditional firms. Exactly. Right? But historically, it's like, well, this is a big Wall Street firm. Let's just give them our money because that mm-hmm. looks good to shareholders. So if they lose right. money, it's like, well, we gave it to so-and-so, you know them, so... Don't right. put the pressure on us. But in reality, the minorities were outperforming, you know, the larger firms. Yeah. I mean, you know, the bottom line is this, you know, and, and Harold and I are working on a deal now. This is this is our life. This matters. Yeah. You know, my, my wife is waking up in the morning asking, how's that deal going? Because, you know, this, is, <laughs> you know this, this matters. And uh, so yeah. that, you know, that level of uh, alignment of interest is is important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's you know, something that can't afford to have, you know, if the deal goes bad, not only is it a financially um you know, major setback, but it also we know, you know, we are, uh, you know, from a, uh, you know, a reputation and track record standpoint, we we can't afford to have uh, you know too many misses and right. you know, still be around. So this, you know, this is, you know, this is, um, you know, every deal is mission critical for us, and you right. know, code red, and we just you know have to you know throw our lives into it, and that, you know, again, that level of focus and. Um, I can't speak to all firms, you know, bigger firms, but you know that that's the way we approach things, and I, I would argue that that's why. Um, you know, we're going to extract as much value out of a, you know, a deal as possible just because it's that important. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a very valid point. We can't turn around next year and just raise another billion dollars. Right. Right. Exactly. We lost half a billion last year. I mean, you just, we, yeah. we yeah. don't have that luxury, that, right? Exactly. So, very, very powerful right. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we, we're kind of getting close to, to wrapping up here, um, mm-hmm. what would you say to, uh, we, we both got kids around the same age, you know, that are, kind of getting started in their their life careers. What would you say to them uh, if they wanted to pursue a career in commercial real estate? Not necessarily your family per se, but mm-hmm. just young ones in general. You know, what what would give right. them the leg up so that they don't have to wait so much later in life to really have this all figured out? So I'm a big fan of trying to get uh, institutional experience, learning the business on someone else's dime mm-hmm. in a in a format where you have the ability to get exposure to a lot of transactions as fast as you can, a lot of markets as fast as you can. So again, fortunately, because of everything, um, we have this whole social reawakening in the country is going mm-hmm. through post George Floyd. I don't mm-hmm. know how long it'll last. I'm happy it's here for now. Mm-hmm. I would uh, encourage people to take advantage of all, all the firms who are out there trying to diversify their employee bases. So, you know, I've had a number of you know smaller private equity firms who had you know never thought about hey we you know we just look at our website we don't have any people of color on here you know can you, can you help us and uh, so you know I, I had a firm last week who I, I had coffee uh, uh, with a guy at a, a private equity firm uh, out of Greenwich Connecticut and he said yeah you know I, I uh, I've just been assigned with trying to figure out how to recruit at Morehouse can you help me out I uh, I called <laughs> down there and they seemed like they were too busy because you know it's but yes they're getting a lot of calls so. It is, I would 
you know, take advantage of this opportunity. There's some great programs. Artemis from out of Washington, D.C., yeah, they have a, a, a program. I think you have to be either a sophomore or junior in college, to, mm-hmm. and they, they do a great job of giving people a, a leg up. A, a bunch of firms now, all the investment banks. So I would just say try to get institutional experience, one that provides you with um, – you know, uh, like I said, just exposure to a lot of deals and a lot of markets and a lot of opportunities. It also in, in expands your network because the people you'll be working with are going to end up at some point going off to other firms and that will increase your industry network. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, finally you get a, um, you get, you get a name on your resume that will give you some credibility that will open up future doors down the road. So if, if that doesn't work for everyone, um, in terms of, you know, being able to go and say, I'm going to you know, spend a you know, summer working at JP Morgan and, uh, the real estate group, but to the extent you can get you know, any experience, you know, a- any way with a, with a larger firm that can uh, give you exposure and, you know, some credibility. That's what I, that's what I tell people. Cause you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, the whole, the dot-com world has, you know, a lot of people thinking, hey, I can come out of college and, you know, start a, start a business and uh, become a billionaire. That works in some cases, and but that's harder in the real estate business just because you, you do need experience, you do need a track record, and you do need a... Um, you know, you just you just need to know stuff, and you know the way you you learn stuff is through through experience. So yeah, they're you know, they're very very hard to paint everything with a, a single brush. But that's just my view that it's um, you know experience matters and exposure matters, and uh, mm-hmm. you know the best way to do that is through uh, connecting with uh, you know, tying into some larger firms. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. You know, one thing we discussed on uh, last week's call is uh, the idea of really creating like this this scorecard, if you will. You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of firms that are pledging contribution, you know, dollars for mm-hmm. minority firms. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them, you know, it's it's you hear these big numbers, but how much money is actually deployed? You know, right. it kind of reminds me of the Haiti situation. You know, there was so much money pledged <laughs> and how much that right. money actually got to Haiti, right. right? So, you know, what we're looking at doing is um, putting together kind of a scorecard, just a report card mm-hmm. as to, uh, okay, these are the firms that pledged so much, how much of that money actually went out the door? You know, yeah, no, that would be. I'd be very, very interested in that. And I, you know, I have, you know, friends and colleagues and business school friends who have been charged with trying to um, put these dollars out, but they still have, you know, but they still have these these parameters mm-hmm. that, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, a lot of a lot of minority firms just can't meet. So they they're, they're their hands are tied. They're trying to figure this out. So it's mm-hmm. you know they they they've got to get creative. They have to think out of the box. They have to figure out ways to. Um, to be committed and make this happen. And they, you know, they, the, the best way is just to you know, tie people's bonuses to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. get, get them to get the dollars done, out. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. So that, that's what gets people's attention. That's a good attention. way to do it. That's what yeah. gets people's attention in, in finance. So it's, um, you know, it's interesting, but I think there are also, um, you know, ways to partner with other firms, with other, mm-hmm. uh, so not, not the institutional investors, but just, you know, smaller, um, majority owned sponsors and, uh, and developers. And, uh, you know, they're also realizing that they're going to be, uh, you know, people are going to start their institutional investors are going to start asking them about, you know, what are they doing in, uh, as it relates to uh, diversification. So if they could say, Hey, I'm partnering with, you know, with this firm over here on, on this project that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that will just help them. So they're, uh, you know, firms like that haven't figured that out. You know, we, um, you know, minority developer, developers can sort of bring that to their attention. And then, so that could be an additional way of getting some um, access to deals and exposure and uh, just additional experience. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So I I think, you know, regardless of all this capital that now seems to be available, we we still have to be scrappy and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, aggressive and trying to uh, figure out how to position ourselves that way. So uh, recently a a large bank put out a, uh, they had a program to put out, uh, I think it was $200 million with a, uh, with minority developers and they had 74. 70 firms, I believe, and already firms apply for these dollars. Mm. So there are firms out there. So it is not uh, that, you know, when people say, oh, we can't find the firms, they are out there. So yeah. you know, people, yeah. uh, you know, people have to look and figure out ways to expand their, uh, you know, where they're looking for, uh, you know, for minority, minority firms to put capital with, because uh, yeah. we're definitely out here and we exist. And yeah, a lot of very, very, uh, very talented people with, uh, you know, access to to deals that again people otherwise wouldn't see yeah yeah no very very good point <clears throat> so we may calling you to kind of help us as we put this together you know because absolutely of input you could provide i think will be really valuable so certainly appreciate that and uh kwame is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh kind of sign off for the day okay you're good fantastic all right well we certainly appreciate that uh Dennis, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jealous because I can't wait to get back to the beach. So, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this I is mean, my fake background. This is my fake background here. But yes, I do have uh, some palm trees swaying in the background right now. So, was, uh, so I, I say I'm probably a half day of work today and I'm going to uh, hopefully enjoy my family and some sand. So. Cool, great. cool, cool, fantastic. Thank you for having me. Wonderful, yeah. uh, you know, connecting again. And uh, mm-hmm. Kwame, very nice meeting you. And, uh, you know, you know, happy to, um, you know, chat with anyone else if they want to follow up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I do have one last question before you get off the line here. How you doing with that CCIM? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking forward to adding some additional CCIMs to my team. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I am a, uh, I am a big supporter. I think it's an yeah. amazing designation and I'm looking forward to adding some additional CCIMs to my team. Okay. All right. Well, that's a good way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you know, we, we had that conversation is. and I was like, damn, what's taking him so long? You know, but yeah, hey, I, get part, it. Yeah. I get it. Life yeah. gets in the way. So it's kind of yeah, life gets in the way. We kept it moving. Yeah. But, but like uh, you said, yeah. add them to the team, right? absolutely absolutely oh man it's all good that's great so yeah so no i appreciate it so well thanks so much um as i mentioned this is uh mornings with joel the cre podcast we're very grateful we have dennis pemberton today and uh took out a little time to be with us and uh take time away from the sand and the sun and the beach and all that good (laughs) stuff to kind of share some wisdom with us today so dennis we greatly appreciate it glad to have you and uh look forward to catching up as we go forward man all the best to you and your family Thank you very much. Take care. All right. Fantastic. See you guys later. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.